Bienvenue and welcome to Akeem's Dream Show. My name is Akeem the Dream, also known as Brown Sugar Supreme, also known as the Dark Knight Batman. I'm Batman. This show is a variety show because I had a lot of ideas growing up and wrote them down and my curiosity is insatiable. And you'll notice that I have a lot of random ideas and subjects, but I think that's what makes it fun. Variety is the spice of life and I like to keep it spicy and you will find that out very quickly. Remember folks, never grow old with no stories to tell. And it's finally time to spice things up. Let's go. Check this out. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? How often do I think about the Roman Empire? Yeah. Um, pretty consistently. <laughs> You're kidding. No. Like, how many... Because I'm big into martial arts. No, but like, that's... How often? How often? Yeah. Do you think about the Roman Empire? Like, a number weekly? You think about it weekly? For sure. Every time, every time I fight this people, crazy. I think about like walking into the Colosseum. It's like if this is a fight to the death and people are around and cheering, like I have to win. I think about it constantly. Is that the only way that you think about it, or do you think about um, like other things? No, about I think about society too, <laughs> and politics, and like how corrupt our, you know, the upper portion of our society is, and how the lower portion is always kind of picking up the pieces. I think about that a lot. I'm shocked. I don't, I haven't thought about the <clears throat> Roman Empire in never. What kind of, what kind of trick is this? This is not a trick. I'm shocked. I tricked myself. We, we have no, like to... there's this trend of all these women asking their boyfriends, husbands, how much they think about the Roman Empire. And I just thought like this hat wasn't real. No, like, Men, I think, to our core, we're warriors. We have, we have to be ready for battle at all times, and the Roman Empire is all about battle. Common sense. What? Hey, babe. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? <laughs> often enough. Like, what do you mean often? Like, we talk them once a year? Oh, uh, I mean, very, very often. Like, you can think about Constantine, how he basically made the Catholic Church... Um, and that's how they had control because they were losing control for a long time. So the Catholic Church, Vatican City, all of that was actually started by Constantine, who was one of the last Roman emperors. So every actually, day. Yeah, probably. <laughs> On an evening in Roma, do as the Romans do. The Roman question, as you heard in the beginning of this podcast, was how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And I have some answers here for you today, folks, because this is the Roman question. Isn't it fascinating that men think about the Roman Empire? Isn't it fascinating that women don't? Men and women are different, folks. I hate to break it to you. Men think about the world, things, systems. Women, on average, do not. And it's not good or bad. I'm just making an observation because, as you could find on YouTube, I put two clips at the beginning of this podcast, but there is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women agasp at the fact that they never think about the Roman Empire. They never really think about history. They think about the here and now, which is not good or bad. Again, this is simply an observation that I found fascinating because I love history. I love things, and I do think about the Roman Empire. I've been to Rome. I loved Rome when I was there. I knew a little bit about history, Caesar, right? Augustus, I knew some of the emperors. I knew a little bit about the Romans and what they would do. I watched the movie 300, even though it was about Greece and Sparta. Because back then, they figured a lot of stuff out. Necessity is the mother of invention. And 
the necessity for their empire to grow necessitated that they invented a lot of interesting and important things that really built the modern world systems that i will go over in a minute but what do why do men think about the roman empire constantly and i think it is because we're obsessed with how and when i say we i i mean men and women too but this this is more from the male perspective because i am a man i'm a I'm a man. Men think about the Roman Empire constantly because we're obsessed with how the things work in life. That's why. And why the Roman Empire? Why not other empires? Because it's all-encompassing. The Roman Empire is all-encompassing. It was extremely large and brutally effective. By extremely large, I mean from like the tip of the rock of Gibraltar all the way to Saudi Arabia, east to west, and north to south. Like we're talking Germany all the way to northern Africa. So like... It was a huge area, all of the Mediterranean, like they went far and wide. And this is before really any kind of world navy was established with modern boats and sailing, uh, sailing knowledge. So they were able to traverse the Mediterranean and take over island states and take over city states and in inland and take over African countries. Like they were very dominant militarily, but they were also able to support all this huge geogra- geographic area and territory with modern technologies that we'll go over later, like aqueducts and roads. And and they weren't just about building a big empire and building a big geographical state. They were thinking about, hey, how can we make this beautiful? Just because we're building buildings doesn't mean that they look like, that like they had some architectural shit going on, right? The Roman arches, think about the Roman arches, the Roman churches, the Roman roads, uh, the pillars. All these things are Roman influences that are actually still woven into modern architectural there's still modern architectural considerations and designs of buildings from the roman empire era and even before the roman empire so it's aesthetically beautiful it's huge it's uh brutally effective the military was successful obviously you can't take over all that territory without having a very successful system and hierarchy of leadership and commanders and all that kind of stuff they were economically brilliant too they had a system of money and trade which was like profound. You couldn't really think about the system of building all this infrastructure and all these innovations without paying for it. Yeah, they had a tax system, but they didn't just use that tax system to pay the rich, although there was definitely some corruption for sure. But they used that tax system to pay for public infrastructure projects. If you were living in ancient Rome and you could aff- you had a salary and you were getting taxed on it, it was actually going to benefit your life, which helps you make more money, right? If you work down the road and some of the money that's taxed from you helps you helps uh, you get to work faster by that money going towards the road, I mean, it's a win-win, right? So they, they were economically brilliant. On the social cult- cultural side, there was treachery and there was brotherhood, right? Even Shakespeare wrote about ancient Rome and all that kind of stuff because there was a lot of backstabbing going on, right? Julius Caesar, uh, case in point. <laughs> There were rich and there were slaves. So there was a class society, right? You had the riches of the rich. You had the Roman emperors. You had the Senate. You had the clergy. You had the nobility. You had the serfs. You had the farmers. You had the kind of peons and the and the normies. It was the first really studied, well-studied, and known part of ancient history, which we can draw exact comparisons from. If you think about that time, we have books and data and documents all the way from... Julius Caesar going to sleep with Cleopatra and having that affair and doing that spinoff with Mark Anthony in Egypt and all that stuff. It was all kind of burnt. A lot of historians were worried about it being burnt down in the fire of Alexandria in Egypt, but 
part of the Library of Alexandria, because we can draw a, a direct line to what happened or what we, we know so much about that era because there's so much written doc, documents and data, we can essentially learn, right? If you don't learn from history, you're bound to repeat it. And if you don't really understand what happened back then, you can't really have context for what's happening right now, which is interesting. A lot of historians believe that countries which are the dominant countries of the day typically last two to three, 200 to 300 years. 250 years on average is like the average lifespan for a modern superpower. Let's call it 250, which is what essentially what from Augustus being elected emperor or uh, essentially making himself emperor right after the death of Julius Caesar from him all the way to Constantine and Constantinople and the fall of Rome, which essentially was essentially 250 to 300 years. So why is that notable? Because if you think about right now, who is the modern superpower in the world right now? You could say probably the United States. And it has been that way really since the 50s, but really since they started. 1776 would be the Declaration of Independence when they departed from English, the British Empire which, by the way, was 250 or 200, 200 years as well. So the British Empire was 200 to 250 years, and then the American Empire, which is kind of still going slash on the way on the decline, depending how you look on it, was 1776 to 1976, which is 200 years, plus 47 years to today. So it's almost it's three years away from being 250 years old, America. So that experiment, uh, that empire, if you look at it and compare it to the Romans, technically should be on the downslide, which you could argue it is, right? There's a lot of issues in America right now. And isn't it a coincidence that uh, all the de declines and the struggles as are happening in America right now uh, coincide with the 250-year uh, point? So you can kind of draw parallels to these ancient civilizations because of all the ancient bookkeeping. And uh, like I said, if you don't learn from history, you're bound to repeat it. Because in many ways, the Roman Empire was exactly like us. Right? They pulled off this empire with no modern technology. They were static, right? They went from city to city, but they didn't really take it over like the Mongols did. We can't really relate to the Mongol Empire, for example. right? They went from, they took over the Euro-Asian steppe uh, all the way from China, Mongolia to like essentially Saudi Arabia. And they were able to do that on horseback with arrows. That's not, not, that's not how the Romans built their empire. They were more methodical, more systematic and a little bit more like America. And because America's coming up to 250 years, I think a lot of men instinctively understand that there's some shit going on. There's some, some stuff that's about to change. Are we about to hand over the, and when I say we, I mean the American, the American, the West, right? Uh, essentially North America. Is that baton of global dominance and empire gonna be handed off to China now? There's an innate protective instinct within all of us to want to understand how something so amazing, America, love it or leave it, it's produced a lot of really cool things in the world and a lot of really good progressive, awesome, amazing things. Is that on the decline? How can we protect it? Well, we can go back to history, right? We can understand what went wrong. Because if we look for lessons in the construction of the Roman Empire and the downfall of the Roman Empire, then we can extrapolate and apply those lessons across all these areas of life that are important to us. Let's jump into a bit of the history of the Roman Empire because you might be thinking, oh, it was always an empire. There was always emp emperors. Well, dear listener, you would be mistaken. There was actually a few phases to this thing. First, Romulus and Remus, who were the founding brothers of the Roman Empire or Rome, as it is called today, the city-state. They were brothers. They didn't get along and they ended up having a feud. Romulus killed Remus and became the first king. 
for the first 500 years up until Julius Caesar, Rome was a sequence of kings and kings and kings. And then it slowly became this Senate slash council based system where the top third of society could elect the senator or counselor who would be represented in the Senate. And then they appointed two counselors to effectively run the government. So there was a bit of democracy going on, right? Like if you were in the top third of society and you weren't a serf or a slave, you did have a say in who was in power. The only problem was this Senate slash emperor system was not really good at defending the city state. So to uh, to really defend the state, to defend the country of Rome, the city states would appoint dictators. And dictator back then didn't mean what you think it means now. It actually meant a person who had normal life, but they had military experience and leadership, but they were giving essentially supreme power to run the military and essentially run the government in a way they see fit to ward off the incoming threat. So if they were being invaded by some uh, exterior force, this dictator would come in and uh, effectively defend the city-state until the city-state was safe, and then they would go back to their life. And if this sounds familiar to you, it's because that's essentially what George Washington did. George Washington was a farmer turned commander in the military because he wanted to defend his country, and then he also wanted to defect from Britain. So... There was a dictator before Julius Caesar, who was the most famous dictator, um, Cincinnatus, a farmer who uh, led a militia and saved Rome from crisis. And once that Rome was saved from that crisis, he went back and returned to farm life. This guy, Cincinnatus, he's actually two fun facts about him. The, the city of Cincinnati, which is uh, in America, in Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio, is named after Cincinnatus because what he did was noble, right? He could have kept the power that was granted to him during wartime and said, hey, listen, I'm the emperor now. I know there's no threat to the city-state anymore, but this power feels nice, so I'm not going to let it go. He could have done that, but he relinquished it, and he said, you know what? Uh, my time of leading the country is done. I'm going to let the next person lead or give it back to the council or the Senate or whatever. He was a big inspiration to George Washington. So you could argue without Cincinnatus, there is no United States because Cincinnatus influenced George Washington to not become a king. George Washington could have been a king after the uh, the Revolutionary War to separate from Britain because he had so much approval and love from the countrymen in the United States, the 13 colonies. But he decided to go back to Mount Vernon and become uh, just a normal farmer. And it's because he looked up the Cincinnati. So anyways, that's the concept of a dictator back in the ancient Roman times. The dictator would just come in, protect the city, and then go back to bouncing, doing whatever he was doing before. Chilling. Until a man by the name of Julius Caesar came around, who was essentially brought in to do the exact same thing that Cincinnati did, which was protect the city-state from an incoming invasion. But a few things were different. Instead of the invasion coming to them, they took the, to the fight outside of the city-state. There wasn't really an invasion happening to Rome. There was a, a geographical area north of Rome that they wanted, so they sent Caesar in to go get it, gave him dictator status. He went, conquered it, and then he didn't want to give up the power. He effectively <laughs> never relinquished the power, became too powerful, and then all the senators and the people in the Senate and people in the council jumped him one day in the Senate hall and stabbed him. They all stabbed him. I think he got stabbed 32 times. He, he won a civil war initially, and then he just never relinquished power. And here is a line from The Dark Knight, uh, in which one of my favorite movies of all time, probably my favorite movie of all time, when they talk about 
Caesar's power here because I think it's fascinating. And they draw it, they make a parallel. So even even Batman was thinking about Caesar. That's all you need to know. So let's hear what uh, Harvey Dent had to say about Caesar in the movie. Exactly. Who appointed the Batman? We did. All of us who stood by and let scum take control of our city. But this is a democracy, Harvey. When their enemies were at the gates, the Romans would suspend democracy and appoint one man to protect the city. And it wasn't considered an honor. It was considered a public service. Harvey, the last man that they appointed to protect the Republic was named Caesar, and he never gave up his power. Okay, fine. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. So, Caesar gets killed, and then his heir, Octavian, becomes the new leader of Rome. After defeating Mark Anthony, who was kind of affiliated with Cleopatra and Caesar, Octavian, otherwise known as Augustus, uh, changed his name uh, to avoid the same fate as Caesar, and he was very paranoid at the beginning of his leadership because although he was not necessarily a dictator, he was just leading the state now, and he wasn't an elected counselor, so he was effectively an emperor. And he was so paranoid about what happened to his uncle, Caesar, that he instituted more kind of powers around his leadership. He, he essentially created what was the Roman emperor. He was the first Roman emperor, Augustus. And that started a chain of emperors in ancient Rome, which became the Roman Empire. So before Julius Caesar, it wasn't the empire of Rome. It was just the city-state of Rome. And the city-state was doing great. It was fine. It was run by kings at first, and then this council system, and then Julius Caesar. And then Julius Caesar didn't let go of his power. He was assassinated slash murdered. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Augustus came. Augustus became emperor of Rome, the first emperor of Rome. And that emperorship started a domino of emperors that lasted for 250 years that included people like Nero and Marcus Aurelius, who was like one of the founding thinkers in a field called Stoicism. So there was a lot of peace when they were building out this, you know, the Roman Empire, right? Starting in Italy, growing it all the way to the geographical size I explained before. And they were able to grow this bad boy out big. And Marcus Aurelius was a, was a profound leader. And then eventually Constantine moved the capital of Constantinople away from Rome and uh, made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. So Rome spread Christianity around the world out of uh, right Jerusalem uh, after you know what was happening with Jesus there. Rome is responsible for the spread of Christianity via Constantine. So Rome got too big. Once it got to the size of like going kissing Saudi Arabia and kissing the Atlantic Ocean and going into Africa and almost going to the northern part of Europe, by the time that was happening, even with all the systems that they invented, it was becoming way too big, way too big. So when you have a massive, massive geographical area, and remember, no phones, no telephone, no internet, right? No MSN messenger. You have to be able to communicate the, the emperor's dictate somehow, and they weren't able to do that. The empire of Rome slowly collapsed, right? They were being invaded by hordes and from different uh, military factions and they just couldn't attack it in different ways. There was a lot of, they, were, they couldn't defend it, I mean, and there was a lot of corruption going on. But to get it to that size, some of the inventions that the Romans made, and by the way, a Roman soldier, I talked about this in one of my other podcasts, was paid sometimes with salt, which is where, if you've got a salary from the job, that's where the word comes from. 
you were paid in salt and that was your salary. So if you ever get a salary, you have the Romans to thank for that. <laughs> and if you don't like your salary, <laughs> ask for more salt. But the Romans, what they do? They invented cement. So when you visit Rome, you'll see something stunning and impressive with the structure standing in the shape or form. The Pantheon, the Colosseum, the Roman Forum, these were all built with cement. And it's not the same kind of cement that we use today, but it was profound because they were able to do some kind of chemistry and botany back then to get really hard start to get rocks to form together and uh, essentially build cities that are still standing today, right? Almost 2,000 years later. The aqueduct, right? So think about transporting water. A lot of times back in the day, before the Romans, uh, you're filling buckets or filling like whatever you could fill and just transporting it long distances. Essentially, what the Romans did was effectively civil engineering, right? They were able to build systems of lines to transport waters, canals, primitive canals, and other water transportation systems before the ancient Roman times or during their ancient Roman times. You know, the Romans were engineers, you know, thinking about why guys like the Romans so much is because they were like actually hardcore engineers designing these aqueduct systems to transport water. Sanitation, you know, Romans gave us sanitation. So every time you don't have to take a shit and throw it outside your window to start your day, you have the Romans to thank for that. They effectively invented not the modern day toilet, but they were able to use the aqueducts that brought uh, clean water to also transport human waste. <laughs> So they used the aqueduct system to essentially improve public health by not having uh, feces all over the place. <laughs> Roads, this is the most obvious one that even I think people who are not interested in the Roman Empire at all know about. They invented the, Rome, the road system, which is kind of easy to deduct if they were able to invent concrete to build buildings and towers and columns and pillars, then yeah, naturally they're gonna be able to invent uh, roads, which, you know, there was paths. Obviously, there's always been paths where people were using for the dawn of time. But uh, to actually have it sturdy so it could transport carts, bring wagons without the wheels breaking down, uh, you know, you're moving thousands of pounds of supplies, a lot of soldiers and communications. So you got to have really good roads to transport all this stuff. And then they would bring in signs. So they instituted signs and markers on the roads for wayfinding. So you could actually get around the Roman Empire if you had a map pretty well, right? Because there was wayfinding and there was roads and it was like a highway system. In fact, they built almost 55,000 miles throughout Europe and the Mediterranean. I wonder, I wonder if you go to Europe right now or go to Greece or Italy or any of those areas, if any old school roads are still there and they just kind of do some minor upkeep, but that'd be really cool to check out. The Julian calendar. So the Romans developed their own Julian calendar, which had a 365-day split into 12 months. It was based on the solar year and named after Julius Caesar, who implemented it. So Julius Caesar invented the modern calendar as we know it today. They brought a surgery. So yeah, they were doing very antiquated surgery, but they developed the idea of the cesarean section. So if someone couldn't give birth naturally, uh, they were able to, you know, cut cut it open and deliver the baby and still sometimes probably wasn't a very high survival rate, but, you know, seal it back up and, uh, you know, save the mother. It was probably also important uh, when it came to fighting in military battles and having some kind of medic on the field who could take out a weapon or something that was lodged in the skin. They were able to like effectively use scalpels and take out things that were not supposed to be in the body. They invented or they had some kind of 
form of the Magna Carta, not not the Magna Carta, the Magna Carta came about 700 years after the Roman Empire, but they had elements of a legal system, right? So they had a co- they had a code called the 12 tables. Words like pro bono and subpoena, uh, which is like free and uh, illicit information came from the Roman legal system. Newspapers and public press. So the Romans had a newspaper way of a new newspaper system. They published accounts of what happened, which is why we have such good records of what happened during that time. And then they had a postal service. So these are just a few things. Uh, they were able to, to support such a massive empire with these modern technologies. So how often do you think about the Roman Empire and why? Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? 